Hi everyone, welcome back to Mindboggler's True Crime series. The case we're about to talk about today, I can definitely say that it's a highly political case. This case is still an interesting case to talk about because until this day, there are still a lot of versions of the story. There are many, many rumors surrounding this case. A lot of the times, the public don't even know what to believe. Other than that, the motive of the perpetrator, they kind of have a lot of versions of that too. We actually have talked about this in the first season. Oh, hello! I'm here, William. (laughs) (laughs) Co-host, OG. (laughs) Remember? Remember me? (laughs) Anyways, we actually talked about this in the first season, but today we're revisiting the case to discuss about the two sides of the coin, the argument against her verdict and the argument supporting it, since there are basically two schools of thoughts as a result of this case. But before we do that, we will be talking about the case itself. Now, I haven't watched the documentary yet. Have you watched the documentary? No. <laughs> I see how the public now have changed their minds about Jessica. Jessica Wongso. Okay, how? Um, they believe that she was wrongfully convicted. Now. Okay, why? We're going to be talking about the conspiracy theories later. But first, we need to know what happened according to the information that we can get in public. To all of you who have seen the documentary, we would love to know what you think about the information disclosed here versus there. Who knows? There must be other aspects of the case that they covered in the documentary that maybe we don't discuss here. So let us know what you think. As you all may know, the story begins with a woman by the name of Jessica Kamala Wangso, who is an Indonesian woman born to her father, Winardi Wangso, and her mother, Imelda Wangso. Some people call Winardi Wangso the Plastic King, and hint hint, they're extremely wealthy. And in 2005, her whole family moved to Australia. She then studied at the Billy Blue College of Design in North Sydney, where it is alleged that she would eventually meet her friend and future quote-unquote victim, Wayan Myrna Salihan. Now, Myrna was also a very wealthy Indonesian socialite and the daughter of a very successful mini-garment businessman in Jakarta. Contrary to the crime that Jessica would eventually commit, it's said that during her time attending college in Sydney, she was known to be bubbly, goofy, and happy. After she graduated, Jessica would then become an Australian resident and stay to work at Sydney. Now, Myrna, on the other hand, moved back to Indonesia with her then-boyfriend Arif Samarco. Sometime after all of this occurred, Myrna went back to Australia and allegedly paid a visit to Jessica. It's said that it was during this time that the two of them clashed and started arguing after Myrna gave Jessica a pep talk to break up with her then-Australian boyfriend. Throughout the entire conversation, Jessica was silent and didn't respond to anything Myrna said. According to sources, Myrna was the type of person who would express tough love rather than sugarcoating things, and that's why Jessica got halfway through her meal and left Myrna in the restaurant alone without saying anything. And so after the dinner, Myrna told Arif that she wouldn't want to see Jessica by herself ever again. She said that the next time she'd have to see her, she would want to take somebody with her because she didn't feel safe around her. They didn't come in contact for a long time after this incident. So apparently after that alleged falling out between the two friends, it triggered a sort of chain of peculiar in Jessica. In fact, there was an incident where she was hospitalized five times in a single year over multiple attempts of suicide. She was 26 years old during this time and there was a time where she crashed her car into a nursing home in Sydney. Australian news described that the specific location where she crashed 
was only meters away from the bedroom where several elderly people were sleeping in. Police speculated that she was drunk. It wasn't long after that Myrna eventually got married to Arif where it was speculated that the marriage was what sent Jessica into a jealous rage. Myrna didn't invite Jessica to the wedding and when Arif asked her about it, she shared her concerns and admitted that she didn't feel entirely comfortable having Jessica there. However, she still extended invitations to Hani and Farah, friends she had gotten to know through Jessica while they lived in Sydney. So at this time, Jessica's life wasn't as rosy. On Australia Day, January 2015, Patrick O'Connor, who would later become the reason for the rift between Jessica and Myrna, called the police. He told them that Jessica had threatened to harm herself with a knife. This incident actually happened before she crashed her car into the nursing home. Two months later, Jessica's boyfriend, Patrick O'Connor, again dialed the police, explaining that Jessica had attempted to kill herself by inhaling carbon monoxide from a small barbecue in her bedroom. Thankfully, Jessica emerged from this incident without any harm. Two weeks after that, the police was called again to her apartment and later they found an empty bottle of whiskey next to her bed with three letters. One of them said that Patrick O'Connor was to blame for her death. The other letter was suicide notes that were addressed to her family and to her workplace. And so by the end of November, Patrick had reached a breaking point and decided to take legal action by approaching the police to request a restraining order against Jessica. Patrick claimed that Jessica had bombarded him with numerous voice messages and text messages, often containing threats to harm herself. She also persistently reached out to and harassed his friends and family. Patrick was deeply concerned about her instability and he feared not only for his own safety, but also for the safety of his loved ones. He emphasized that her behavior was becoming increasingly concerning. She eventually lost her job as a graphic designer at New South Wales Ambulance. And later after this, she decided to go back to Jakarta. Okay, now we're really gonna start diving into the case at hand. So before Jessica went on her journey from Australia to Jakarta, she made a WhatsApp group with her three friends from Billy Blue, Myrna and Hani. They both had settled in Jakarta and Jessica was eager to reunite with them. She fired off the first message on December 5th, just a day before her departure. Myrna, however, kept her in suspense for a couple of days before finally responding to Jessica's message. When Jessica pushed her into making plans to meet up, Myrna eventually agreed to a dinner rendezvous. On the 12th of December 2015, Myrna introduced her new husband Arif to Jessica as they all gathered for dinner at a restaurant in North Jakarta. The dinner itself proved to be rather uneventful, except for one unexpected revelation. It was during this meal that Jessica first learned about Myrna and Arif's wedding. But beyond this tidbit, the details of that evening remained shrouded in mystery. Now, Jessica was keen to bring the gang together again for some coffee and proposed a January meetup. In their WhatsApp group, it was Jessica who extended the invitation to Myrna, Hani, and Vera. They coordinated to meet up on Wednesday, January 6th at a cafe nestled within the Grand Indonesian shopping mall. She sets up an appointment for her, Myrna, and another Indonesian-Australian college friend named Hani. This would then lead up to the day of the crime on 6th of January 2016 at Olivier Cafe in Jakarta. Have you ever been to Olivier? Nope. 
Well, did you know that a lot of like other podcasters would call this place like a very socialite place? Like it's such a high end place. I have only been to Yoshinoya. <laughs> what? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> have to do with anything? Well, this is Grand Indonesia. Yeah, this is in Grand Indonesia. It's like a cafe. Cafe in Grand Indonesia. <laughs> where is Olivier? I don't know where it's located. I, I think they closed. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they closed or not. But <laughs> why did you say Yoshinoya? It's like what? I was just telling you that a lot of other true crime series say that this place is like such a high end place, like nestled with all socialite, you know? When Whoa. it's not the case, it's just like a regular schmegular cafe. Like, regular people can come into here also. You don't have to be a socialite to be here. Okay, so hours before the arranged time they would meet up, Jessica is said to have message to insist that she pre-orders drinks for all of them. Police said that she went into the cafe much, much earlier in order to organize her future crime. Her arrival at Olivier was caught on CCTV at exactly 3.30 in the afternoon that day. Now, Myrna and Hani arrived at 5.15pm. That's roughly one hour and 46 minutes before her friends even arrived. What did she do? Here's the Sounds thing. like just like you. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm also an early bird. I go to places much, much earlier. For me, it's like I like being early rather than being late. You know, going an hour early for meeting your friends. Maybe she's just excited. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So at 3.32 p.m., just two minutes after her arrival, Jessica leaves the cafe which she later says to buy gifts for Myrna and Hani. Now, she doesn't return back to Olivier until 4.14pm, where she would be seen carrying three shopping bags from Bath & Body Works. During her second arrival at the cafe, she spent some time walking around the inside of the cafe, where she stole glances towards the CCTVs and then to her table. And she did this for a couple of times. It was believed that she picked the oh, table oh. where one of the cameras was blocked by several oh. pots of large plants behind their table. So she was looking for a blind spot. It was okay. believed that she was looking for a blind spot at this point. However, there was another camera on the other side of their table that has a clear view of them. Now, what Jessica does next is what has raised many suspicions and speculation that this is a premeditated murder. She takes those three shopping bags and placed them on the table. But it's the position that she placed those shopping bags that is suspiciously calculated because she puts them at an angle where the camera would not be able to catch a clear view of whatever she would be doing on that table, whatever she would place on that table, including the drinks she pre-ordered for her friends. Okay, are the shopping bags placed not parallel to the tables? She then proceeds to sit down at her chair and readjust the angle and positions of those bags, actually. So she didn't put it in a line. She made a fort. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no jokes, no jokes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but that was funny. She made a fort. And so this was all caught on the CCTV. And it was still one whole hour before her friends arrived. And Jessica had already ordered her friend's drink. 
She ordered an iced Vietnamese coffee and two other drinks, which arrived at her table at 4.24 p.m. Police said that this is the exact moment where she laces the iced coffee with cyanide. Now, do you think it's suspicious for someone to pre-order people's drinks, like, a few hours before they arrive? If she asked them what they wanted? I mean, I guess that works for food, but drinks are pretty fast, and how thirsty do you get to pre-order drinks for your friend? I mean, to pre-order someone's drinks, like, a few hours before they arrive, all I can think of is, like, the ice melting. Yeah. It's not gonna be flattering to drink anymore at that point, right? Yeah. Especially coffee. Yeah. Better fresh. But do you think it's suspicious, though? Suspicious? No. Weird? Yes. Hmm. Now, a lot of people would say that the whole thing with her arriving way too early to set up a simple meeting with a couple of old friends coming back to walk around and sort of scout the area, blocking the CCTV camera views with her newly bought shopping bags. Do you think it's suspicious or not? Because a lot of people think that this is very, very suspicious. Okay, that's suspicious. Like the train of things that are going on, right? So on top of that, after the drinks had arrived, again, nearly an hour before her friends even arrived, Jessica's movements on the camera were consistent with moving these coffee cups before she moved back to her side of the seat. A lot of people thought that she had no reason to be that busy with a drink. These suspicious movements, however, can't be seen clearly due to the position of those shopping bags she placed on top of the table. At 5.16pm, Myrna and Hani finally arrived at Olivier. Now, considering what had transpired between them before, you know, with a falling out over Jessica's ex-boyfriend, Myrna not inviting her to the wedding, the CCTV footage shows that when these three meet, they actually seem to be all happy. They were all hugging each other, you know. After this, they all decided to sit down at the table. Then, Myrna finally takes a sip of that iced coffee. Seconds after this, the footage shows that she's making these sort of flapping movements with her hand over her face. You can actually like see that she is extremely uncomfortable and even irritated right after having only a sip of the coffee. She then turns to her friend Hani and says to her, This really isn't good. It's awful, she said, and proceeded to also move the coffee towards Jessica to say the same thing. She asked them to also have a sip of the coffee, and while Hani had dipped her end of the straw into the coffee and licked it, Jessica declined to try it. Now, at this point, Myrna is constantly flapping her hands as if there was an unpleasant smell. And suddenly, Myrna thrust her head back violently and vomits foam out of her mouth as she proceeded to have a seizure. And soon after, she collapsed. At this time, the cafe was busy with waiters and the manager was rushing over to help. Hani was calling Myrna trying to wake her up, but Jessica just sat there quietly without reacting or helping. The manager suspected that Myrna might have experienced an epileptic seizure and immediately instructed the waitstaff to dial for an ambulance and provide supportive oxygen. Amidst the chaos, the tensions soaring and cries of panic filling the air. CCTV footage captured Jessica Wongso maintaining an eerily calm and emotionless demeanor. Jessica then confronted the manager and demanded to know what they put inside of the coffee. Now, this is pertinent to the story because nobody there thought anything about the possibility of someone getting poisoned. Nobody thought that the seizures Myrna was having was due to any external cause. 
Jessica confronting the manager was actually what led to the manager instructing her staff to not throw what was left of Myrna's coffee and to seal it away for future evidence. Okay, so if you are in a cafe and you see someone having a seizure, what is the first thing you have in mind? You wouldn't think that they're like, you know, poisoned. Oh, maybe they're having like a heart attack, you know? Like someone getting poisoned is not what I would have in mind. True. Now, the manager was actually confused on why this girl was going on about what was inside of the coffee. These accusations made by Jessica was what put the manager of the cafe on guard and would eventually provide the most vital piece of evidence for this case. And you know, I feel like the reason why people find this peculiar is because what Jessica did is like, when you fart and you don't want people to know that you farted, so you start asking people around like, who farted? Was it you? You know? What a good analogy. But it's true, right? Yeah. I feel like that's why people find it suspicious because nobody was thinking about poison in the first place. It seemed like she was trying to make herself less suspicious by trying to blame the management of the cafe and to appear concerned over Myrna. I feel like this is why people are suspicious over her, you know? Yeah. Now, moving on to the story, after Myrna seemed to have collapsed, Hani called Arif and said that Myrna was having seizure and that foam was coming out of her mouth. Arif was shocked and panicked, so he rushed to Abdiwaluyo Hospital where the ambulance was headed with Myrna in central Jakarta. And here's the thing, when Arif told Myrna's mom that she suddenly passed out, her mom didn't think of anything malicious. She thought that Myrna passed out because she was pregnant. I also just now discovered that passing out could be a sign of pregnancy, right? But by the time Myrna arrived at the hospital, she had already passed away. Despite this, doctors still desperately tried to revive her, but it was too late. Myrna's friends and family were stunned and extremely shocked over the very sudden passing of Myrna. Upon hearing stories of her final moments in the cafe, all eyes of suspicion fell solely on Jessica. Yet at the same time, it's hard to believe and hard to sit with the idea that a friend that Myrna knew pretty well despite what had happened between them could be capable of a cold-blooded murder. Not to mention in public too. On that exact day as well, the manager of Olivier handed the Vietnamese iced coffee that was brought under suspicion to Indonesian police to be investigated. Three days after Myrna's death, police confirmed that the Vietnamese iced coffee did in fact contain a lethal dose of cyanide. It was after this piece of newly found evidence that police finally started to investigate Jessica. Okay, so... What if the manager never decided to hold on to that coffee? What could have happened, do you think? Case closed. Yeah, I also believe that if the manager wasn't so offended to the point that she kept the coffee to hand it to the federal officers, there wouldn't be any investigations in the first place. And this was believed to be a murder, right? And if it was true that this is a murder, then the perpetrator could have just gotten away with it. Now, the typical course of action that we see in crimes, whether it's in real life or even fictional, an autopsy is usually performed in order to discover the cause of death through postpartum examination of the body. So, the police allegedly urged Myrna's family to give consent to an autopsy to be performed on Myrna, 
but they stood firm and did not allow it. Eventually, they allowed some samples to be taken out, but a comprehensive autopsy was never performed. Results actually showed that there was an anomaly in Myrna's stomach that was caused by a corrosive agent with a small amount of cyanide present. However, these results was apparently not consistent with the toxicology results taken 70 minutes after Myrna's death, which showed negative test results for the presence of cyanide in her gastric fluid, liver, and urine. Later on trial, Jessica's defense lawyer insisted through the autopsy results that there was no residue of cyanide anywhere in Myrna aside from her stomach. Now, one of the world's top toxicologists, Ian White, says that that is not unusual in the slightest. He says that a simple teaspoon of cyanide is enough to be potentially lethal. There is in fact no cyanide residue left in the heart, brain, lungs, or liver three days after the death, but still, how do you explain the cyanide in the stomach, cyanide in the drink, and someone who collapsed in a way that cyanide poisoning causes? During Myrna's funeral, Jessica did in fact look uncomfortable. She apparently left the funeral when one of Myrna's family members, an aunt, came to her and accused her of poisoning her niece. So, a lot of people actually find it quite peculiar that despite being charged with murder within weeks of the incident, a lot of people are stunned to see how quote-unquote happy Jessica appear to be as she is basked by paparazzi and on the front cover of many media news outlets. So a lot of people found that to be suspicious, you know. But what do you think, though? I don't really have an opinion about it because her background, she's already had a few questionable uh, personalities. She has problems already. In the past. In the past. So yeah, it's not surprising. So like knowing what you know about her past in Australia, you don't find it surprising? I see. Indonesian police eventually looked towards Sydney in order to further investigate Jessica's path and to figure out any potential signs or clues for Jessica's motive. They interviewed Jessica's former boss, the head of media and marketing at the New South Wales ambulance for nine whole hours. She says, and I quote, I've observed her for the past eight months and from her attitude, hatred and nature of her craziness, I have no doubt that she's capable of hurting or killing another person. She had no doubt that Jessica was able to kill a person. Why keep her around? I don't know. Yeah, I feel like they have personal beef from what she said. <laughs> yeah, well. She also said that Jessica had previously mentioned that she actually knew how to use poison through the exact amount of dose in order to kill someone, which happened when she was recovering in hospital from one of her attempts of suicide. Two months before Myrna's death, Jessica is said to have sent death threats to her boss. She says, and I quote, You need to die and your mom has to go too. Oh, okay, that's personal then <laughs> now we know <laughs> it sounds like a personal beef <laughs> yeah so do you think her statement is biased yeah biased but also facts oh yeah yeah it was after she was dismissed from her job that she decided to go back to jakarta and eventually meet up with myrna and hani 
So Australian police collected all these evidence and handed it over to the Indonesian police. Indonesian investigators contacted Australian federal police to request a collection of documents on Jessica's background while she was living in Australia. The AFP actually agreed to cooperate on the guarantee that Indonesia would not give Jessica the death penalty should she be found guilty. Once the case files were collected, prosecutors decided a trial was ready to be underway. A little over three weeks after Myrna's death, on the 30th of January, police finally arrested Jessica at a hotel in North Jakarta after they had previously reported to have visited her family home only to find her nowhere in sight. Now, Jessica denies any accusations that she was responsible for her friend's sudden death with a calm and smiling demeanor in front of cameras. And so on the 15th of June in 2016, six months after Myrna's death, Jessica's trial finally began at Central Jakarta State Court. On the third month of the trial in September, a forensic pathologist from Australia concluded that Myrna's death might not have been due to cyanide poisoning. The reason for this conclusion was because there was no cyanide found in Myrna's gastric fluid 70 minutes after her death. The 0.2 grams of cyanide in Myrna's stomach three days later was said to have likely been produced post-death. Another forensic pathologist agreed and explained that really, the only way of knowing the exact cause of death is in fact through an extensive and full autopsy. And so Jessica's legal team made it abundantly clear that Myrna's death was not caused by cyanide poisoning saying she could have suffered from an undiagnosed underlying medical condition. After speculation over where Jessica could have possibly purchased the cyanide, it was made perfectly clear that they still have no proof where Jessica purchased the cyanide. Or rather, if she even ever purchased it in the first place. Jessica continued to deny any involvement over her friend's death. On the 5th of October 2016, the court made the verdict that Jessica Kamala Wongso is found guilty of the premeditated murder of Myrna Salihin and sentenced to 20 years of imprisonment, leaving the country split into one side applauding with cheer and relief and the other unsatisfied from the lack of conclusive and explicit yeah. evidence as the base of the verdict. I agree. I mean, hard evidence showed Myrna didn't die from cyanide poisoning. Now here's the thing, we're going to talk about the most interesting part of this case, the speculations and rumors. As mentioned at the start of the video, there are essentially two schools of thoughts about the outcome of this case. Some people believe that Jessica is actually innocent, while others believe that she is the murderer. There are many arguments for those who believe that Jessica is innocent, and these arguments revolved around the televised trials of the case that were shown to the entire nation. Many criticized that there were serious flaws in how the trial was conducted. They thought that there were simply too many unanswered questions. The main argument for why some people believed in Jessica's innocence is the idea that she might seem culpable on the surface due to the prejudices and preconceptions that interfere with the course of justice. So now, we'll explore different viewpoints of Jessica's case and we'll take a look at arguments from both sides, those who believe in her innocence and those who think she's guilty. And you guys can conclude the answer at the end by yourselves. Okay, 
Number one, no conclusive autopsy was done. Now, this is the biggest flaw to many of the people who believed in Jessica's innocence. A limited autopsy, more appropriately called a post-mortem biopsy, was performed days after her death, after her body was embalmed. And embalmation can seriously affect any antemortem lesions and samples from the body. Many believe that with no conclusive autopsy being done, how could anyone be sure that Myrna did not in fact die of natural causes? People even assume that she had a ruptured brain aneurysm or a fatal arrhythmia. What do you think about that? What do you think about that argument? Myrna's family didn't want to have the full autopsy. Mm-hmm. That they failed to find hard evidence mm-hmm. to support Myrna, basically. But here's the thing. I feel like her family was more focused on her death instead of her murder. It could be like the reason why they didn't want an autopsy in the first place because they don't want like their daughter's body to be quote unquote wrecked, you know? But then again, I don't know. That's the only explanation I can think of um, in someone not wanting to have an autopsy. But to sacrifice someone's uh, death's justice? Hmm. Yeah, that's also a consideration. And there's also a person on the line, right? Like a person's life on the line, which is Jessica's life. So yeah, it's very confusing. It's a very complex case, right? Now, here are the arguments presented by the people who believe in her verdict. So despite the absence of a conclusive autopsy in Jessica's case, It is important to consider that this does not necessarily imply her innocence. Even a limited autopsy could have provided critical information that supported the prosecution's case, such as identifying injuries or substances that were inconsistent with natural causes. In addition, while there may have been speculations about natural causes such as a ruptured brain aneurysm or a fatal arrhythmia, The probability of these occurring simultaneously with the poisoning would be extremely low. So the presence of toxic substances in Myrna's body might have outweighed the likelihood of natural causes. Number 2. Toxicology reports tested negative for cyanide in her gastric fluid, bile, liver, and urine shortly after her death and only a tiny amount of cyanide, which is 0.2 milligrams, was found in her stomach several days after her death. And did you know that an apple seed contains 0.49 milligrams of cyanide? 0.2 milligrams is hardly significant at all. And a lot of people would argue back by saying, Although initial toxicology reports showed only a limited amount of cyanide in Myrna's stomach after her body was embalmed, it's important to consider the possibility of delayed discovery of cyanide. Even a small amount of cyanide in Myrna's stomach after embalming could indicate that she ingested cyanide. Delayed discovery could be due to uneven distribution of cyanide in the body, making it difficult to detect immediately. The rate at which cyanide is absorbed and metabolized in the body can vary. It's possible that Myrna's body absorbed most of the cyanide shortly after ingestion, leaving only a small amount to be detected later. Therefore, the argument that the amount of cyanide found in Myrna's stomach is negligible. So, number three, 
people were questioning her murder motive. They were saying that her murder motive was weak at best. So Jessica wanted to kill her good friend just because her friend gave her some relationship advice. So that was what they thought ridiculous because why would someone kill a person because of a pep talk? Right? That's why they were against the verdict because it could not be um, the reason. But here's the thing. Although the motive for murder in Jessica's case might seem weak on the surface, it's essential to consider that motives for crime can be complex and not always easily understood. I mean, Richard Chase was a serial killer who killed people only because they have their doors unlocked, and he sees it as an invitation for him to kill them. So like, I feel like the motive, is, is it a relevant thing? right? You could just kill people because you want to. There are a lot of like yeah. cases where that happens. Essentially, many people did not actually believe that Jessica was 100% innocent, but they think that the prosecution did a poor job of at least proving her guilty. Now, we're going to be talking about some of the rumors that arose in the midst of this case. A lot of them are so far-fetched. I gotta praise some of these people, for thinking this far because number one lesbian jessica <laughs> some say that jessica was in love with myrna and that these unrequited feelings and myrna's wedding was what fueled this act there were rumors that jessica sent myrna saying i want to kiss you it's been a long time this is hearsay by the way oh. and myrna's family defended that she was not a lesbian and had been in a relationship with Arif for eight whole years before they even married. Oh, so, debunked. Yeah. Okay. Now, Done. the second one. The rumors that Jessica was in love with Arif. So, there were rumors that Arif and Jessica had dated before, and this is a statement made apparently by Jessica to a co-worker. But this is, again, it's hearsay. Arif eventually defends himself by saying that he didn't even study in the same city as the two girls and had only met Jessica when he went to visit Myrna. Okay, done. <laughs> debunked. That's debunked. And number three is quite popular. And it's to the point that I have a lecturer that believes in this rumor, that believes in this conspiracy theory, is that Arif is the mastermind. Apparently, some people believe that Arif was the real mastermind over his wife's death in order to obtain a hefty life insurance payout. This has been strongly denied by both Arif and Myrna's family, and honestly, I find it to be one of the hardest to believe. So, not only that they believe that Arif was the mastermind, there's also rumors that the dad was the mastermind, that, you know, it's either Arif or the dad. They wanted to kill Myrna for the insurance money, which was approximately 68 million, wait, billion rupiah, sorry. Oh. But here's the thing, they're filthy rich and they do not need the money. They would rather, I feel like, I feel like they would rather have the kid to continue the business rather than unalive them that's such a like it's such a ridiculous rumor it's ridiculous and very very insulting i mean imagine losing a wife and everybody thought that you did that because you wanted money yeah why would anybody even come to this conclusion i don't know and the last rumor is pretty silly because 
A lot of people thought that Jessica was only pranking Myrna, but it went terribly wrong. Some people believe that Jessica did, in fact, put something in Myrna's drink as a prank to get revenge on her since they were on bad terms, but then got shocked because she didn't know that it was poison. Reaching. Reaching. Reaching, right? Because if it was a prank, she would feel super guilty and shocked. Yeah. So, yeah. Her reaction, her reaction was wouldn't like... be all smiley and... True. So, from all of the things that we have gathered, like, what is your verdict? Do you think Jessica's guilty? Do you still believe in the verdict? Or do you believe that she did not do it? Inconclusive evidence. Yeah. Like, there was chances where she showed people that she could put the cyanide herself. But it's like uh, leading. Yeah. So, like, there are so many, yeah, unanswered uh, questions. questions. It's like saying one plus one has to equal two, but we can't prove it. That's a good analogy, actually. While the verdict may be controversial and the details of the case may be shrouded in speculation and rumors, what is certain is that a young woman lost her life in a senseless and tragic way. Our thoughts are with Myrna's family and friends as they continue to cope with their loss. Also, we just wanted to reiterate that we haven't actually watched the documentary yet, even though it's already been released. All of the sources we talked about in this episode are available to the public for further research. So if there's anything we missed, just leave a comment and we'll check it out. And that's it for today's episode. We'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.